Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm Mark Anthony, and this is episode 5 of Demolition Digest, exclusive to Demolition News Radio. In this episode, CDC is acquired by the True 7 Group, exit strategies, and a three-year warning. This show is brought to you by Hydroquip, the UK's largest independent provider of on-site hose repairs. Call 0845-812-0212 for the 24-7 national call-out service. Or download the Hydroquip Job Manager app for iOS and Android devices from the App Store. But we start with our most listened to segment to date, in which we look at the exorbitant cost of adopting smart card technology. It might be a sign of my advancing years. It might be a side effect of living in the age of fake news. And it might just be an inherent cynicism that goes with being a journalist. But whatever the reason, I tend to read all news today with one eyebrow raised to allow me to better see what may or may not lurk behind the headlines. Now anyone that's been reading the construction trade press over the past few days will be aware that the National Federation of Demolition Contractors has raised the alarm about a bunch of bogus CCDO cards that are apparently in circulation. Quite right too. Through its training arm, the National Demolition Training Group, the NFDC is the arbiter and provider of much of the training that takes place in the UK demolition industry. If anyone is going to be up in arms about the presence of bogus competence cards, it's appropriate that it should be the people that provide the real ones. News portal, the Construction Index, quotes NFDC Chief Executive Howard Button as follows. The NFDC were recently asked to verify the authenticity of a number of cards, which were later discovered to be counterfeit. Managers need to be extra careful checking the details of operators at induction, and ongoing spot checks are highly recommended. But, as with all things, it pays to read beyond the headlines. Howard Button goes on to say, The problem of fake card is easily overcome by the use of the CCDO smart card scheme, which, with a single scan, can verify the validity of the operator's qualifications. Terrific, right? Well, that depends who you ask. We'll be right back after this. At the same time, the UK construction media were reporting that the NFDC had intercepted a bunch of bogus cards, I received an email from a reader and a demolition professional who was in the process of renewing his CCDO card. His existing card had become worn and to avoid problems on site he wanted to replace it with a new smart card. So he called the NDTG to find out the cost and he was told that his replacement card would be 51 quid. And that is the cost only of the card, not of an accompanying training course. So I did a little digging. With little or no effort on negotiation, I found an online supplier of so-called smart cards that was willing and able to supply cards with embedded RFID technology for about 25p each. Now, of course, the smart CCDO cards are not all the same. They contain the specific training and qualification details of the holder, so each one is unique. So let's say each unique card is 10 times more expensive. No, I, I tell you what, let's say they're 20 times more expensive. In that case, we're looking at a production price of about a fiver a card. So how do we get from £5 to 51 Well, there'll be postage to take into account, so let's allow another couple of quid. 
and I'm assuming that these cards are not actually made at Hemel Hempstead, so I guess staff will have to be paid to take the cards out of one envelope and stuff them in another. So let's allow another fiver per card for that, though that seems a bit excessive, even by South of England standards. So, having paid way over the odds for the production of the cards, and even more way over the odds for sticking the cards in an envelope, we're still only at £12. Math is not a strong point of mine, but £12 seems a long way shy of £51. In fact, unless I'm missing a key point here, we're looking at an additional £39. That's a markup of more than 320%. Now, I can't help thinking that if that kind of markup was levied by an external company, the demolition industry would be up in arms and demanding an investigation. Yet this charge is being levied by an organisation that is supposedly here to support the demolition business, not to bleed it dry. Charging a working man £51 for what amounts to permission to work is a fucking disgrace. Thanks for listening. This time last week, we brought you the news that Clark Demolition Company, or CDC as it's better known, had been acquired. This was such a big and unexpected story that we actually took two bites at it. First, we, we were the first to bring you the news of the acquisition itself. Then we followed up with a story that looked at exit strategies and how CDC and DSM before them might just be the start of an exodus out of the business. So Friday evening and Saturday morning brought news that Clark Demolition Company, or CDC, had been acquired by the group behind the Trucks R Us and Tippers R Us brands. Taken in isolation, this would have been a big deal. CDC is a well-known name in UK demolition circles. Its managing director, David Clark, is a former president of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors and an influential figure in the National Demolition Training Group. The CDC of today is, of course, rather different to the CDC of a few years ago. In 2008, following a disastrous and costly gasholder demolition contract, Clark was forced to shut down the company his father had started. Then, in 2014, Clark was diagnosed with bowel cancer. But the company came back, and it's resurgent, and it's retained much of the respect it enjoyed before its various trials and tribulations. My phone, email, social media feeds lit up when, when we broke the story of CDC's acquisition by True7, and aside from messages of good luck to David and the team, there was a constant threat to many of these interactions. This will shake up the industry, said one social media message. This will shake the tree, said another. True Seven will shake the industry to its core, came yet another. As Jerry Lee Lewis once said, But it's impossible to view the CDC acquisition in isolation. It comes hot on the heels of the buyout of DSM Demolition, the UK's most profitable demolition firm. It also comes at a time when the recession and its devastating effect on the UK demolition landscape remains fresh in all our minds. And while rumours are just that, there are suggestions that the acquisition of DSM and CDC will not be the last, and that several more big-name firms are in advanced talks with suitors keen to grab a slice of the UK demolition pie. It's too early to tell just what these industry interlopers might bring to the table, aside from the obvious injection of investment capital that has the potential to put these newly acquired companies on a whole different footing. But they come without baggage. They have the opportunity to view demolition, how contracts are organised, priced and won, in a whole new way. They have no need to follow the well-worn path that has brought success to many, 
and which has resulted in financial disaster for many more. They will not be hampered or hindered by the traditions of the past, rather they can march to the beat of their own drum. Two company acquisitions do not make an industry trend, but even if these prove to be the first and the last acquisitions of their kind, I firmly believe they represent a major rationalisation of an industry long overdue a shake-up, or as Sam Cooke so eloquently put it. But it's impossible to view the CDC acquisition in isolation. It comes hot on the heels of the buyout of DSM Demolition, the UK's most profitable demolition firm. It also comes at a time when the recession and its devastating effect on the UK demolition landscape remains fresh in all our minds. And while rumours are just that, there are suggestions that the acquisition of DSM and CDC will not be the last, and that several more big-name firms are in advanced talks with suitors keen to grab a slice of the UK demolition pie. It's too early to tell just what these industry interlopers might bring to the table, aside from the obvious injection of investment capital that has the potential to put these newly acquired companies on a whole different footing. But they come without baggage. They have the opportunity to view demolition, how contracts are organised, priced and won, in a whole new way. They have no need to follow the well-worn path that has brought success to many and which has resulted in financial disaster for many more. They will not be hampered or hindered by the traditions of the past. Rather, they can march to the beat of their own drum. Two company acquisitions do not make an industry trend. But even if these prove to be the first and the last acquisitions of their kind, I firmly believe they represent a major rationalisation of an industry long overdue a shake-up. Or, as Sam Cooke so eloquently put it, It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes it will. Most demolition companies were started with the simple aim of providing for the founder and his or her family. And as the company grows, that founder's actions will likely provide employment for others. Acts of altruism may follow. That founder might join a trade association to help improve the industry's standards. That founder might put his or her weight and money behind a charitable campaign. That founder might wield his influence to bring about positive change in a number of different ways. However, the fact is most, if not all, demolition companies were and are started to put food on the table and a roof over the heads of that founder's family. And if that founder plays his cards right, if the economic gods continue to smile upon him, and if he and his workers manage to avoid accidents and fatalities, that demolition company has the potential to look after the founder into his dotage and may well take care of future generations as well. But there will come a time when enough really is enough. A time when that founder has enjoyed all the trappings that a successful life in demolition might bring. He has the nice house, the nice car and the fancy watch. He's respected by his peers. He has, re he has reached the pinnacle of his chosen career. But what then? For those fortunate or unfortunate enough, depending on your viewpoint, to have family to carry on the business into the future, this might mean a slow easing into a well-earned well -earned retirement. Five o'clock starts become eight o'clock starts. Six-day weeks become four and three-day weeks. The golf handicap gets some much-needed and more regular attention. 
for those not blessed with sons, daughters, nieces or nephews to carry the business into the future, and even for some of those that have potential successors that are less keen on the demolition business, the exit strategy might not be quite so straightforward. In that instance, the best you might hope for is to sell the company as a going concern to a third party and effectively get out while the going's good. That, in effect, is precisely what David Clark has done at Clark Demolition Company, or CDC as it's better known. As we reported exclusively on Demolition News and in episode 41 of Demolition News Radio, CDC has been acquired by True7, the company behind Trucks Are Us and the Tippers Are Us brands. David Clark is staying on, as are all his staff, but there will come a time when he can walk away from the company started by his father, head held high, safe in the knowledge that his team retain their jobs and that his family are looked after. And frankly, who would blame him? Like many demolition firms, CDC has had its ups and downs. Indeed, the company folded entirely at one point. David Clark himself has experienced more than his fair share of highs and lows too. He was the president of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors. In fact, he was one of the best and certainly one of the strongest and most vocal NFDC presidents that I worked with during my time with the Federation. But he has also fought off bowel cancer, and while externally at least he looks unchanged, any battle with cancer will take its toll on even the toughest of men. When he does decide to hand over the reins entirely to someone within the True Seven organisation, no one will blame him. And his exit, whenever that comes, will certainly not be the last. We'll be right back after this. Even without outside influences such as bowel cancer and a failed business, demolition is a brutal industry within which to pursue a career and a livelihood. Regardless of how well you do your job, your cash flow and income hinges upon the willingness, or otherwise, of your client to pay you. You can train men and women to and beyond the legal requirements, but if one of them makes a mistake and someone is hurt or killed, it's you that will be in the firing line. Legislation is constantly shifting, in fact, it often seems that legislators are moving the goalposts merely to catch you out. You will see less and less of your family as your business develops. Early starts to check on site progress, late nights pressing the flesh with potential and existing clients are all part of the territory. It's little wonder that people medicate with cigarettes and alcohol just to make it through the day. Demolition really is not for the faint of heart. I am told regularly that the fun has gone out of the business. As one well-known and well-respected demolition man put it to me recently, this is not what I signed up for. In all my re time re reporting on demolition, I can't remember a time in which there were so many rumours about companies being up for sale. And who would blame them? There must surely come a time when you've proved your point. You've achieved all that you set out to achieve, and the potential downside of life in the demolition fast lane just becomes too much to bear. I can relate. Several years ago, I was approached, twice in fact, about the potential acquisition of DemolitionNews.com. One of those approaches was a little more than a sounding out, a kite-flying exercise by a lowly representative of a, lo of a larger publishing company. The second was far more serious. Meetings took place, and I'd even gone to the trouble of having somebody actually place a value upon this dog-and-pony show. But two things happened. First of all, the recession proved to be far deeper than anyone dared contemplate. Even though that didn't sink the acquisition entirely, it dented the price like a well-aimed iceberg. The biggest reason it didn't happen, however, was entirely of my own making. 
At the time, demolitionnews.com was well established, but demolitionjobs.co.uk was still in its infancy. Demolition Magazine was still in start-up mode, and both Demolition TV and Demolition News Radio lurked unseen beyond the horizon. But I was unwilling to hand it all over when there was still work to be done. Part of the plan was that I would be retained in in an advisory role, which, as anyone that knows me would testify, would not sit well with me. Ideas and innovations like Demolition TV and Demolition News Radio were created on the fly. In fact, I decided to do Demolition News Radio at about 6.30 one evening, and the first show went live less than 12 hours later. A consultant or an employee within a large publishing company would not be afforded the luxury of such creative freedom. Anyway, as it transpired, we couldn't reach an agreement, and as the recession tightened its grip on the construction and demolition sectors and on their respective advertising spend, discussions reached a terminal impasse. I think about that a lot. Had I been less of an idealist, I might be semi-retired by now. I don't play golf, but it's fair to say that the fishing rods would have received a more regular airing. Had I been able to silence the entrepreneurial voice in my head, I might have taken the money, worked out my notice, and left demolition news to become someone else's problem. Had the recession not impacted so negatively on the sale price, I might be sat on the beach right now, rather than waking up at 5.30 in the morning to record a daily podcast. Do I regret my decision? Maybe a little. Although I'm proud of what we've achieved since that offer was on the table. So what would happen if that offer or one like it reared its head now? I'd snatch their bloody hand off. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after this. And now, a word from our sponsor. CanTrack Global provides the only tracking device capable of working on demolition equipment and attachments out of the box. Its super rugged design is fully waterproof and provides both the equipment location and the ability to recover in the event of a theft. Attachment recoveries were up 220% in 2016. See CanTrackGlobal.com or Google the CanTrack asset to find out more. In our final segment this week, we looked ahead three years to the likely scenario facing the Construction Industry Training Board, the companies paying the CITB levy, and the trade associations that support the CITB, and who receive grant funding from the constantly threatened training organisation. This podcast was recorded on the 11th of October 2017, and is designed to be played in August 2020, just as the UK construction and demolition industries once again reconsider the future of the Construction Industry Training Board. As I'm recording this three years in advance, I've had to make a few assumptions. I've assumed that the Earth is not now a dystopian wasteland because the spat between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un escalated into a full-scale thermonuclear war. I'm assuming that we have not all been replaced, willingly or otherwise, by robots. And I'm assuming that nothing has happened to overcome the boom and bust cycle of the construction and demolition demand. So with those caveats in place, here's why I'm recording this almost three years in advance. At the time of recording, the combined construction and demolition industries have just voted to grant the CITB a mandate to continue to charge its levy. Although the vote was nowhere near as close as many had hoped, the industry, and in particular the trade associations allied to the CITB, hardly gave the organisation a ringing endorsement. In fact, in order to get across the line and retain its position, the CITB has had to make some pretty ambitious promises. Personally, I've heard all this before. The CITB's mandate is discussed and questioned on a regular basis, 
and just as all seems lost, it makes a bunch of assurances that allow it to continue for another three years. This time, in October 2017, was no different. But by the time we all get to look again at the CITB in 2020, things may be a little different. And the HS2 project will be the acid test. According to estimates, HS2 will create almost 30,000 jobs by 2020, and the CITB will be responsible for training a good many of them. If you're a levy-paying member of the industry, you'll be able to see clearly whether the CIP, CITB has delivered on its promises. We'll be right back after this. By the time the 2020 census rolls around, the industry will also have had an opportunity to look more deeply at the role of its various trade associations in the maintaining of the CITB's mandate. Organisations such as Build UK, the Construction Plant Hire Association, the National Federation of Builders and the National Federation of Demolition Contractors have all just given the CITB their backing on the proviso that changes are made. And well they might. The National Demolition Training Group, the training arm of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors, receives grant funding from the CITB and they are obviously keen that that grant funding continues. But let's not lose sight of precisely where that money comes from. The grant funding doesn't come out of the CITB's pocket. It does not come from down the back of the CITB sofa. That money is collected in the form of a levy upon demolition and construction companies that may or may not be entirely happy with the performance of the CITB or with what they get in return for what amounts to a stealth tax. Before the 2020 census allows the wider industry with another opportunity to voice its opinion on the CITB, individual companies need to ensure that their trade associations are actually voting in the same way as their memberships. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that you'll check back next week for another. Incidentally, if podcasts are not really your thing, we're starting to add these shows to our Demolition News YouTube channel. The shows are in purely audio format, but we figured they might be easier to navigate than a newfangled podcast channel. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support this show, Demolition News or The Demolition Magazine, please consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash demolition news to find out more.